Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where we're desperately trying to have an opinion. I'm Tara. I'm Susan. I'm Jeanette. How are you guys? Good. Um, we are getting ready to do some home improvements, so that's always fun. Ooh, what are you improving? Yeah. Our doors. Yeah, oh, our doors are so terrible. So <laughs> we're um, we just got the mortise, so we just have to schedule it when they come in. So oh, fantastic! Yeah, thank God, because like everything's broken, so we gotta <laughs> fix it. <laughs> How about you, Jeanette? I'm doing pretty well. So it'll probably be public information by the time this comes out. So I'm really excited this weekend because I'm gonna be a mom and have a really good. Yeah, so. Had a really great appointment the other day where I'm listening to baby's heartbeat. I'm getting all excited. So I'm Yay, really super pumped for that. Always so oh, I'm fun. so excited that we can we can share that now. <laughs> We've been for a while. It's been really hard. <laughs> we I had know. A secret. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Yay. I'm so excited. How are you doing, Tara? I you know what? T minus eight days till Japan and Korea. Really looking forward to my long, prolonged honeymoon. Yay. Um and then uh might be moving soon so we'll see we'll see don't not ready to announce anything specific but uh yeah might be uh looking to move somewhere new so that will be fun 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 very fun it's exciting stuff in our lives i know know. we're all like adulting and i know new adventures man i love new adventures me too (laughs) (laughs) well along with our home adventures we are also having reading adventures hopefully so what are you guys (laughs) reading now how about you susan uh well i am reading two books whoa (laughs) at Um, the same time i know i'm trying to anyway with two children i know (laughs) always when they're asleep it's those few few bits and bits of time (laughs) um but i am reading watchmen by alan moore finally oh for Um, your first time yeah Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm I'll, finally I'll getting to it. To yeah, it's it's really good. I'm more than fifty percent through. Um, and I'm reading Childhood Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke. Um, it's definitely a very sci-fi book. It was actually mentioned by one of our listeners, Sean. I mean, he said it's like one of his favorite sci-fi books of all time. So I was like, oh, I'll just check it out. And it, it's uh, one of my the books that I chose for one of my local book clubs. So it's pretty good. Very cool. Yeah. How about you, Jeanette? I am still working on trying to get out my trying to get out of my book slump. It's been so hard, but I, I'm almost finished with Euphemania now, and I can kind of feel my energy picking up. So I think I'm gonna have like five new books for you guys next time. I promise. <laughs> How Typical about you, Tara? Jeanette behavior. Five books, pregnant, no worries. God. Um, I wish I know. had your energy on a normal day. Um, <laughs> so I haven't started it yet, but it's my next book up, and that is A Gathering of Shadows by V.E. Schwab, which is the sequel in what I think is going to be a trilogy. No, it's going to be a series. It's more than a trilogy um, from A Darker Shade of Magic. Um, I know a bunch of people have already read it, so don't tell me anything, but um, I really loved A Darker Shade of Magic, and I'm really looking forward to finally getting to a gathering of shadows. Gonna be good. That, I'm so excited about that. I really liked um, V.E. Schwab's uh, last book that I read, which was Vicious, so I'm looking forward to getting started on this series. Yeah, I need to pick up Vicious. I've only heard amazing things about that book. You would really like it, I think. I really think you would. Um. So we have a little bit of news this month, and that is that we will be doing our second semi-annual Eclectic Readathon at the end of June, which is going to be so exciting. Yes, it'll be doubly exciting because we will be celebrating our seventh birthday as a book club. Hells yes. Mm -hmm. And our very first birthday as a podcast because our first podcast episode was released in June 2015. So Yay. we've almost been doing this a whole year. Yeah. Yes. Crazy, right? Wild. <laughs> wild. And when I think back to how excited we were to start releasing last year, I can't even believe it that mm-hmm. we've come this far. Yeah, all that planning and prepping and oh man. 
Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Who remembers our first audio, though, with all the echo and the terrible? And <laughs> just, we've gotten so much better in a year. I mean, we still have things to work on, but I mean, legit, guys. Yes. Well done. Yeah. We're growing <laughs> up. <laughs> so, yeah, we're working on that. So we're celebrating with another readathon because everybody had so much fun doing our first one. Um, and we'll be setting up an exact date by poll. So if you go to our... Goodreads page, there are two polls set up, one to pick the exact weekend and one to pick the day of the weekend. And go vote, start prepping your TBR list and reading nook, because we're going to do some page turning. Um, the challenges, there'll be a thread to throw up some new challenges and I'll mix and match different challenges in and we'll have new challenges for the readathon as well. So, but I'm not going to tell you until then again. Of course not. <laughs> But I'm excited to actually participate in this one. Yay! So, Yay. you'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> but for this month, what we're going to focus on is the fact that we are actually recording on Mother's Day. So, happy Mother's Day, Susan. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Day, <laughs> I'm the only one without any sort of baby. And I'm okay with that. That's fine. <laughs> That's not true. You have fur babies. I do That's have true. fur babies. I have three fur babies. That's true. You have fur babies. <laughs> Um, and in honor of our babies and our books we're going to focus on some literary moms Um, so what are some standout moms in literature to you what are your favorite literary moms god we were talking about this and it's so funny how few standout literary moms at least for me that there are I I was looking through my like all time favorite shelf um and I'm looking, like I'm like, oh, shelf. yeah, well, you know, Goodreads, you can like, just, you know, personalize all your shelves. So I have an all time favorites book, uh, books shelf. And I was like, oh, my God, all these characters are orphans. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> There's so many. And I, you know, or at very least motherless. Yeah. A lot of them have fathers. Yeah. But a lot of them don't have moms. Yeah. But I found it, it's the other. <clears throat> There's a lot of books the other way, too. And I don't know. I, it's like the Disney syndrome. I don't know where they're killing off all these parents to, but mm-hmm. it's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there are some really great ones out there. Yes. Um, I actually did think of two off the, off the top of my head because, you know, there's so many books and so many moms. Um, um, the Mother in uh, Little Women. Yes. Oh, I was oh thought my of God, her too. I love her. Yeah, she was Marmy. a really great – yes, Marmy. She was a really great mom, I thought. Um, I don't know. She's a brilliant mother. Yeah, like loving, kind, supportive. Um, and another uh, mom that I thought of, because it happens later on in the series, is Anne Shirley, or by the time she gets married, Anne Blythe, because um, she becomes the mother of seven kids, and she turns out to be like a really good mother too, even though she was an orphan herself. Um so that was another mom that came to my mind. And for our listeners, which book is that? Oh, that's the Anna Green Gable series. Good job. And that's funny, Susan, because I thought you were going to pick Marilla because she's an adopted mom. She is an adopted mom. Um, so. There's a lot of good adopted mother, adopted parent characters in Ella Montgomery's books. Yes. Um, it happens a lot. So there's a lot to choose from in that type sort of category. If you're just talking about like adoptive mothers and things, there's Marilla. There's um, – shoot, I can't think of the characters in the Emily books, but um, – they turn out to be really good, um, Aunt Laura, that type of thing. Um, but Anne herself, she becomes a really good mom later on. Yes, she does. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tara? you have any favorite moms? Oh, man. I was thinking about this, and it's not Mother's Day appropriate, but, like, most of my favorite moms in literature are pretty twisted individuals. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not good mothers. You know what I mean? Like, um, Lestat's mom in the Vampire Chronicles, I think, is just an amazing character. But, like, again, although a good mother when she's, you know, not a vampire, terrible mother once she's a vampire, um, but much more interesting character. Um, you know, I, I would have to say of good moms, I'm, I'm going to steal the Harry Potter series for this. Um, I think Lily is obviously a great mom, even though we don't see her a lot, you know, she gave sort of an ultimate sacrifice moment. But Molly, man, oh. Molly Weasley, you know, uh, just grade A example of what a mother should be or could be, I should say. You know, there's all different types of women and all different types of moms. Um, so I, I think she's really 
phenomenal. Like, I, I seriously, I was sitting here thinking about it, and all I could think of was like Dage Lawrence's Sons and Lovers, not appropriate. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the girls from um, The Importance of Being Earnest, not appropriate. And I was really trying to think of uh, really good moms. You know, Katniss's mom is not a good mother. Yeah. I, I feel bad for her, but she's not a good mom. Um, yeah, it's just really, it's really hard to come up with. Um, really great moms for me. I don't, I don't know what that says about me. I love you, mom. This has nothing to do with you. I'm sorry. Um, it's like an underlying a, theme here. I, I know, right? Um, what about you, Jeanette? I was, I was definitely going to say Molly Weasley. Like hands down, I think she is a fantastic mother. All around. I mean, she loves her family. She's devoted to her family. She's, you know. But she's also strong. She's a good witch. She's patient. She lets her kids go off and make, you know, their own mistakes and learn from their own mistakes. But she tries to guide them well. I just think there's so much good in Molly. So hands down, probably my favorite literary mom. Aww. Um, Plus one for the gingers. Ten points to Gryffindor. <laughs> Y'all are sweet. Are you kidding? It's Molly. 20 points to Gryffindor. <laughs> and an extra five points for her beautiful line to Bellatrix in yep. book seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Which I David will a... let me quote here. Exactly. <laughs> I just referenced it. I you Harry is... Potter lovers will know what I mean. I think she is a good mom. Um, I mean, in the whole grand scope of things, she is a really great mom, but she does tend to be really overbearing, <laughs> which... Um, I mean, if you had seven kids, I think it was those seven, kids? actually it was seven. They were all George and Fred were the worst, I know. Uh, but the others were actually not as bad. I don't um, know. I think Bill and Charlie probably got into their own scopes. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think Ron's they hanging out with Harry every year. So that's I don't a heart think attack. they were as bad as Fred and George together. Like, like they. I'm not surprised if they got into scraps and things. And then, you know, Ron with Harry, like she, she was like, Oh, okay, well this is a thing now. Um, but I think she was just a little overbearing at times. I think that came in through the second half of the series. Um, I know she's trying to protect them, but at the same time, it's like you, you, you voiced your concerns. Now you just need to let them be on their way. <laughs> They're 15. I totally disagree with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't no. I share that feeling. No, with their 15, that's that the fine. But at the same time, like she can't, she is not there all the time to look after them. So the only thing she can do is a warning, which is fine. But then she doesn't let up when they're 17 and they're, you know, they're able to make their own choices in that world. You know, some of them are oh, now man. adult, legal, uh, I legally can't adults. I your girls are 17 so. and we'll have this conversation again. I'm just going to keep this for like. No, because there are different types momentum. of moms. And honestly, like I that that's my goal is like, I don't want to be super overbearing. I want to be protective, which is different to me. Mm-hmm. Overbearing is crossing that line. I mean, that's the marmy. So though, which I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. with you. Marmy, oh, I, I didn't I don't know why I didn't think of Marmy. I love her. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about it, I'm like, geez, I just uh. Well I you know, I think that you know, I agree with Susan, there's a lot of different types of moms. I think considering the dangers of the Harry Potter world towards the end of the series, I don't think Molly's uh fears are misplaced, but it's a good point that the different moms have different characteristics. What literary mom characteristics inspire you? Oh god. Patience. <laughs> patience. Oh my, do you need patience? That is just never ending. Eternal patience would, is fantastic. I wish I could have that. Um, especially with young children, because Emily's at that age where, you know, she does understand, but not quite. And like repetition is key. Like you just have to keep repeating like the things that you want her to know or learn or remember. Like you just have to keep like <laughs> pounding it into her. <laughs> and it's hard sometimes, especially if like you, the parent, is having a bad day. You don't. You can't be as patient as you want to be. You know. Yeah. So, patience is one characteristic I would just just love to have. <laughs> I think for me, it would be strength. I think that's one of the reasons why I admire Molly so much is because mm-hmm. I don't think it's easy being a woman in general, not just a mom. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to have a lot of strength just going about your day-to-day life. 
And I think um, I, lo- I love women and mothers especially that I see having a lot of strength of character, a lot of integrity, um, confidence. I think strength is so important, um, being a woman in general. And of yeah. course, being a mother. <laughs> yeah, you definitely what a, need that too. Yeah. What about you, Tara? I was going to say courage. Oh, and that's courage, a good one. good one too. Courage to stick to, courage to both let your children be themselves and not put your own um, wants and needs into them. You know, to, to have that moment to be able to step back and, and to let your children be who they actually are. But at the same time, also courage to stick to you know, what you know is best, even if it's like really hard. And even if it would make them very upset, I think that courage is something that not just mothers, I mean, we're talking about mothers, but parents in general really need to have in order to raise independent but children, but still have, you know, your ability to influence them where needed. And um, yeah, courage, because I think that's really hard. I think parenting's really hard, you guys. Uh, good luck, and good luck to you for me, um, hopefully. Um, and um, yeah, I think it requires a mass, mass amount of courage. Yep. Well, I also think that, you know, again, you, being courageous, generally speaking, is very important. So I think yeah. that's a really good one that you've mm-hmm. um, pointed out there. Um, just for fun, who are the craziest moms you've read about? Like, which mom just sticks out in your head? Like, oh my gosh, that's a mom in literature. Lestat's mom. That's Gabrielle. <laughs> Lestat's mom, right? G- 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 Gabrielle. Gabrielle, I think is her Gabrielle, name. I believe. Yeah, Gabrielle. Um, she's crazy. Well, she <laughs> is. I mean, like literally. Um, actually insane. Um, I think they have sex once she's a vampire. It's very strange. She rescues him several times. She sort of just wanders off into the woods. She's like, okay, thanks for making me. Bye. Eh, out. Um, <laughs> I remember that. She's, she's, in a, she's a weird, weird, weird character, but I love it. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, definitely her. Definitely what, her for me. <laughs> what about you, Susan? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Like, I, I can't. I have no idea. I think I probably blocked those crazy moms out of my head, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But I really couldn't think of, like, a really crazy mom because maybe I wouldn't think of them as crazy. I would think of them as, like, terrible and horrible. (laughs) I mean, there's literally the woman in the attic scenario that you could pull here. I'm sorry? There's literally the women in the Um, attic. Yeah. All all the crazy wives in all the attics. Yeah. So I just – I can't think of one specifically off the top of my head, like, where I'm thinking, like, oh, yeah, she was terrible. Well, I should share that this question came from um, the idea that when we first said, oh, let's talk about moms in literature, the first mom that popped into my head was Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice, yes. who I believe is a delightfully crazy mom. Yes. She's not evil. She's That's, just so yeah, misguided is, yeah. and so insane. <laughs> and I just absolutely love her in that sense because she's one of those people that is hilarious from afar. But you know every time – um, Elizabeth cringes. You know why? I cringe with Elizabeth. Yeah, I, but you know, it comes from you know she's just trying to do good. She's trying to you know do You're her right. best. And- yeah, it does. It comes from a place of love, mm-hmm. and I think in some ways that is the best kind of crazy mom because you know when you're with your own family you're like oh my gosh my family is so crazy but it always comes from a place of love i mean it does drive the younger siblings to do some pretty (laughs) unokay things though but i get you she's well she's well meaning exactly Mm -hmm. yeah so you can't really hate her (laughs) i don't hate her i hate no so okay (laughs) something that just came to mind um there's a book i read uh, called Big Little Lies. And it's all about like these moms of school age children in the school. <laughs> and some of these women be crazy. <laughs> oh, is it like PTA a thon? Almost kind of. It's like a murder mystery. Who's going to be at the top of the phone? No, tree? not that bad. But it was around okay. this. Is it like a, it's a murder mystery? Like, how did this? person die so they interview like all these parents and like you follow them like and how they're raising their kids and things like that those some of those women are pretty crazy (laughs) it's like yeah moms moms can do crazy things for their children yeah (laughs) like murder them or no 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 children aren't murdered (laughs) oh thank god i was like i don't know 
I don't know if I want to wreck this on Mother's Day. <laughs> no, no, no. Children are not murdered. Um, it was. Okay. A, I liked it. It was a pretty. It was pretty interesting. So, Tara, you keep taking this mother thing to a dark place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, mom, it's not you. I love no, it's you. definitely not. <laughs> Your mom's very, very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, Susie, you want to take it away with our main read? <laughs> uh, yes, because we're going in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's an awesome mom in here. It's an interesting mom. It, I Maybe would say crazy. Interesting. interesting? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's probably the right word. Yeah. I like her, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get on to our main read of uh, A Sense of an Ending. So our main character, Tony, thinks back on his past from when he was in school with his three best friends to up to the present. Tony focuses mainly on Adrian um, because he was the newest member to his group and he was also mysterious. Um, also, Adrian does something that makes Tony wonder about his own life. Then he finds out that he's getting something from his ex-girlfriend's mother and he goes on a search to figure out why. Uh, does Tony get any sort of answer on his search for answers? I mean, spoiler warning, the thing that Adrian does is kill himself. Well, it was going to be mentioned later on, so. <laughs> it's I mean, it's like, a big talking point. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is. Um, so oh, what, did, what is one thing that stood out to you for this book? So uh, I, I said it in the tagline, but uh, one thing that stood out to me in this book is my lack of opinion on it. I just sort of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is my opinion on this book. Um, I, if I had to pick something in it that really stood out to me, I guess it would be the concept of loss of memory um, and how memories can change. But I felt that way also about Rabbitback. I think Rabbitback did it 100% better. So, um, But it's a, it is an interesting topic, and I, I did like it. How about you, Annette? Well... I have to agree, Tara, it was very hard for me to find just, like, one thing that stood out to me in this book. Um, the whole book was very, like, even for me. And, you know, in a sense, um, that can be taken as good writing because the whole book was very, very even. Um, it did have a lot of interesting perspectives on memory, as Tara said, and also aging and how pers your perspective changes Um and I thought that was interesting because even now, I mean, I'm certainly not as old as Tony was by the end of the book, but I n noticed how my own perspective on things changes over time. And I thought it was um, interesting how the author reflects on that throughout the book. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I also found his writing to be really well done. Um, it didn't feel stilted. It didn't feel like too rambly. Um, it wasn't overly flowy like it was kind of matter of fact even in his description so I really appreciated that I was like yeah I, I like writing like this you know <laughs> yeah he definitely captured the voice mm -hmm. of his character yes he did yep um so this book also won an award uh he won it won the man booker prize and yeah it sure did yep. in 2011 I believe <laughs> yeah in 2011 mm -hmm. um and I guess there's a little bit of controversy as to did it deserve it or? <laughs> I mean, listen, it checks all the boxes for what English literary canon loves. And, <laughs> you know, is it about a man? Check. Is he white? Check. <laughs> is he British? Check. Did he do absolutely nothing of consequence with his life? Check. I mean, as our, as Aaron, one of our list, uh, one of our listeners on our book club said, this will get taught in school someday. I mean, it even has an old timey picture of a man in a tweed suit. On the freaking cover. Depends on which um, edition you yes. got, because mine That's did not true. have or, a suit. Mine or it could have an egg, which is, yeah. you know, for t whatever. Um, I, I, it's, it's just, this is just what I feel most literary awards award now, you know, just rambling. I mean, that, I, I hate saying that because there is a good point to this ramble, but like, it, it, is it reward worthy rambling? Yeah. <sighs> Didn't this book remind you of Gilead? Yes, yeah, it did in yeah, that it sense. Did. It yeah. did. Um, I'm not sure which one I like more. I, I, I think I just, you know. I think this one squeaked by. <laughs> you <laughs> said squeaked. We did not like that book. So. <laughs> it squeaked like it just barely passed Gilead because I really didn't like Gilead much. 
I think for me, what I've noticed about a lot of books today is there's a lot of sense of like loneliness and nostalgia that gets emphasized in many books today, especially books that um, have been winning awards such as Gilead and Sense of an Ending. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think there's so much of it out there right now that I don't connect with it. And perhaps that's why um, I would kind of question the award in my head, you know, mm-hmm. who am I to, you know, well, critique sure. the award, you know, givers. But I I think something needs to stand out as different for me nowadays because there's so much of this sense of, well, let's look back on a life. Let's think about our own I mean, loneliness, our own nostalgia. Let's be honest. 90% of the people who are reading these books and are giving the awards are middle-aged men. And they are relating to middle-aged men. And this is the same problem we're having in Hollywood with movies is that genre is not being considered legit for whatever reason. And there's so much good genre work out there. And I think it's just a real shame that that is being wholly ignored by the you know, constructive criticism group yeah. that is yeah. that makes up these award. Yeah, what I think I find interesting about it, though, is the fact that, for example, I'm not a middle-aged white male, but I wouldn't <laughs> want to read only books about people like me either. For I read a lot of books with, for example, strong, young female characters, but that isn't the only thing I read because it can't be because you, you know you can fill up on something and you don't ever get to see other perspectives. So I find it surprising that even in awards, you don't branch out a little bit more. I mean, don't you get tired of reading the same thing? You would yeah. think. Apparently would they think don't. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was, um, cause I read a few reviews, you know, see like, why did you win the book or man, you know, why, what did these critics think or judges think? And a lot, a lot of, of things came up. And one word that came up a lot was subtlety. Everybody loved the subtlety of this book and how you can it go back and read it. It was subtle to people? Yeah. And I'm like, if it was subtle, then it was super subtle because I didn't see it. <laughs> I mean, I felt like this book was a sledgehammer. Um, um, or maybe you know. that's why I didn't see it because it was like out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I was like, okay, I'm not sure what you guys saw, but let's – that kind of ties in with the title, A Sense of an Ending. Yeah. Um, now that we've read it, what do you think the title means to you? I, I think it means that, A, as long as we're living, we're not really done. And that, B, no matter who we are or, you know, no matter what our ending is or what we believe a situation's ending was, we don't really know, you know, we don't ever have all of the answers or all the information to make a fair and true conclusion to anything, uh, including one's own life or one's closest companions lives or one's closest companions issues. You know, we don't have all the information for, to have a real ending. All we can hope to have is, as the title says, a sense of one, um, and I think this book delivers a sense of an ending. I think that's exactly what it delivers. Yep. Yeah. Any thoughts Jeanette? on um, it? It was funny because I paused for a second because somebody else mentioned something um, the other day that I thought was really good at, but I believe it's Erin who's not here today. So um, I think she was talking about how this is what Tony is in search of. He's in search of kind of a sense of an ending, like all the other things in his life, you know, are very set and settled and he's reflecting. And this is kind of what he's in search of throughout the book. And that's, you know, he mentions, he's like, I'm not interested in Veronica. I'm not going anywhere with Margaret. I don't, you know, I don't want to reflect too much on my past because I don't regret anything. But he's more looking for an ending, not so much an explanation of the past, but just an ending in the present. And I thought that was a really great way to describe kind of the sensation I get from the entire book is that's really all Tony wants. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, He just like, I, especially when he was uh, going in search of 
Adrian's book. He's like, I just, I just want it. Can we just, can I just have it? Like, I don't, I don't want to really, I, I didn't feel like he wanted to really think about it. He just was like, I, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you not giving me this book? And he kind of just wants it to be over. Um, so, but yeah, I figured that A Sense of an Ending was a, quite an appropriate title for this book. So, um, and so let's, let's do some comparison to Elliot. Now I yeah. have not read any Elliot, but I know you oh, have no, some really? Oh, yeah. I'm no. going to give you so much after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, T.S. Eliot's like, uh, I don't know. He was a rock star poet and I freaking love him. But I mean, all I could do the entire time reading this book is think that Elliot did this better with less words. <laughs> and it just, for instance, I mean, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, right? Um, his first poem is all about this guy who can't seem to motivate his life long, you know, can't seem to like have a conversation with a girl, can't, is, is constantly worried about what might happen were he to actually act on anything. Um, he actually says, like, do I dare? And do I dare? Do I dare to eat this peach, for instance? And, you know, at, at one point, um, Tony actually says, like, what did I know of life? I who had lived so carefully, who had neither won nor lost, but just let life happen to him, who had the usual ambition and settled all too quickly for them not being realized, who avoided being hurt and called it capacity for survival. And, you know, uh, in J.F. Perfect, he says, no, I'm not a... I'm not Prince Hamlet, nor was meant to be. I'm an attendant to a lord, one that will do to swell a progress, start a scene or two, advise the prince, no doubt, an easy tool, deferential, glad to be of use, politic, cautious, and meticulous. Full of high sentence, but a bit obtuse, at times indeed almost ridiculous, almost at times the fool. And I just feel like that's Tony, you know? It goes on, I grow old, I grow old, I shall wear the bottom of my trousers rolled. And it's just, he does it in like four pages, 100% better than what A Sense of Ending does, I think, in the 170 pages of this book. Um, But yeah, the entire time, all I could think was, this is Elliot in a novel, and it didn't need to happen. Uh, But that's me. Okay. Um, so do you think that maybe the author kind of was bouncing off Elliot, maybe? I don't know if he did it on purpose. I think it's impossible for him to not have read that poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, given his, given how much Tony talks about high literature and high art, it is impossible that he is not aware of the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. <laughs> um, I, he probably didn't do it on purpose. I, I, I mean, I, I, I did some internet researching and tried to see anything like that, and I didn't find anything. So I, I think it's impossible. I just think that, um, you know, there are no news stories. Sure. One of those sorts of situations. I just think that the two characters are so similar to me um, and have such similar point of, points of view on their own lives Yeah. Uh, that it was hard for me to really separate them. I mean, Jeanette, you've read A Love Song. Uh, yes, I have. I think there's a slight sort of difference in the two characters because, um, I mean, and this is based off one reading of Elliot. One gets but... a girl and one doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, you know, and Elliot, it's, you know, it's clear, do I dare? He's afraid. But I don't think Tony is so much afraid as just doesn't want to be bothered like he's yeah. not he's not interested in facing these things. He's um he's like he's interested in being comfortable. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well that would take me out of my comfort zone. So, nah. And I think that's where the difference lies. I think that's I don't think true. there's a sense of fear in Tony. I mean, I think if he ever tried to move out of his comfort zone, would he face fear? Absolutely. But I think he's not interested in it and probably for that reason. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's true. I think Tony has somewhat of a persistence to him that Prufrock doesn't seem to have. Um, But I think that questioning that Prufrock does, you know, I could be, you know, a crab scuttling across the seas or all all this questioning and re talking and re uh, 
you know, readjusting an argument, you know, that that entire poem is just him arguing with himself and having this repetitive argument. And in some ways, sense of an ending is just that it's just Tony constantly, especially the first half, having this repetitive argument with himself um, on page. Yeah. Which I liked and didn't like. It can it it can get a little frustrating. It's like do something already, yeah. <laughs> you know. So all right, let's talk about our two like big mysterious characters aside from Tony. Um, let's let's touch on Adrian first. Oh, Adrian. <laughs> um, first of all, do you think Adrian considered Tony his friend? I can't tell you anything about Adrian because he's a one-dimensional smart character, mm-hmm. and I have no <laughs> opinion on him. That's true. There's not well, a lot of. You know, the problem, I think, with between Tony and Adrian is that Tony constantly feels that he understands who Adrian is, but I don't think he actually does. I don't think he um, was ever as close to Adrian as he thinks he was, mm-hmm. and I I think there's a something missing in that characterization, because how do you describe somebody you don't know? Yeah, I kind of felt that way because from, I mean, he could have been a completely different person, but from how Tony was describing Adrian, you know, Adrian was like a pretentious, overly um, philosophical type of guy. Yeah. Um, And and that's all he ever mentioned is how smart he was and how um, he always like questioned everything. And it's like, really? You wanted to hang out with this guy? Why were you hanging out with this guy? Like he never really talked about that. It was just... Adrian just decided to come on in. (laughs) And he always seems to set himself apart, too. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. they never never go over to his house. Yep. Ever. The entire time. Um, He never follows suit with the wristwatch thing. You know, they all wear Mm -hmm. their wristwatch um, so that the timepiece is on the inside of their wrist. He never follows suit. Um, I, I just don't... He calls him Anthony, even. He doesn't even really call him Tony. He doesn't even use a nickname. I think it's very, I, I think the friendship was pretty surface level, probably. Yeah. For 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 Adrian, at very least. Well, with how the other guys looked at Adrian, they're like, oh, this is like a super smart guy. We need to hang out with him. Do you think that was a type of thinking that the guys had when they were in school? I mean, like the author says, I think time sort of changes your perception right. of your own personal um, wants and needs. You know, I think he thinks that they did him a favor, mm-hmm. you know, but I think probably it has more to do with getting away with stuff and cheating on their homework than they want to admit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with how little we know about Adrian, of course, now we have like a ton of theories of why Adrian committed suicide. Um, what were your first thoughts? Oh, God. I mean, when I first read that he committed suicide? Or like um, when you, you kind of pieced together throughout the book. Because for me, it was like, oh, he couldn't handle the pressures of being a parent. And he just wanted to sound like he was smart to make himself look better. Like, that was my initial impression. I mean, honestly, honestly, I think I can take the note at face value. I mean, I think he looked at his life at that moment and said, you know what? I don't want it. I didn't ask for it. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to be that guy who got this woman pregnant. I don't want to deal with it. I don't care to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I took a look at it and I'm out. I, I, I think we can take... If nothing else, probably that one note at face value. Mm -hmm. How about you, Jeanette? Well, you know, and I I was very, very concerned at one point that it was the fact that, you know, he did end up fathering a child that has some kind of disability or mental challenge. And I, I was a little you know, saddened and upset by that thought. But, you know, thinking about it, the note is really the only thing we have Mm -hmm. of Adrian's that really says anything about him. Even the diary, we don't get a complete sense of who Adrian is because we get like a page from the diary and it's incomplete. So you mean the note is just a sense of an ending? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm here all day, here all day. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like Adrian's note is the only thing we have that tells us really who he is. So I think there is a sense that you can take it at face value because all the other perspectives are how he's seen by others. Well, by Tony specifically, who we know by Tony to specifically, be a but through his conversations narrator. with others as well about Adrian, because after Adrian dies, he does have conversations with his friends and his parents about Adrian. Yeah. Um, so there's that, but that note is the the only thing we have. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to kind of take the note for what it is, because it is the only characterization of Adrian that is not skewed by Tony's conversation or by somebody else's perspective with Tony. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I think that, um, you know, a little bit to Tony's mom's credit, you know, she asked, was he too clever? I think, I think the answer there is a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think somebody who couldn't logic his way through that would just have sucked it up and dealt with all the controversy and, you know, he's he took a look at it and went, I don't think I have to do that. You know, and I, I, I think there is, we all know, you know, what I don't know what the exact connection is, but there is a connection to between suicide and intelligence and between those sorts of darker thoughts to extreme intelligence. And, you know, I do think that, to her credit, I think she's a little bit right, too. I think she, he was a little too clever for his own good in this case. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I still think it ties back to, you know, finding out the news that, you know, you know, he was going to be a parent. He's like, I don't know how to handle this. I kind of don't really want to, Um, which brings me to my next question. Um, When do you think he found out that he was a parent or he was going to be a parent or, you know, she was pregnant? Yeah, the the timeline. So hard. Yeah. Because my my belief was that um, Veronica's mom told him she was pregnant, and that's when he w- went through that whole like situation, and then that's when he decided to commit suicide. Yeah, I but mean, I know honestly, there's other thoughts. So, I mean, honestly, I I agree with you. I think it's impossible to know. Um, yeah. Without the diary, I don't definitely. I mean, at most, in my mind, a week. He, mm-hmm. before he committed suicide. I, I think, given what we know about the character, again, heavily skewed by Tony's perception of him, um, you know, I think he probably found out the news and made the decision rather quickly. And right. probably, like they said, he waited until his roommates were out of town. Mm-hmm. So I think if there's any delay, it was most likely to be convenient to them. Yeah. Um, and, and do it that way. But I do it alone because it's interesting how Adrian likes to do things on his own. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I agree that it was probably pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think he would have delayed it unless it was to, you know, go through the philosophy of it in his diary. Yeah. But I think as soon as he reached his conclusion, I think he would have been set. It wouldn't have been something he's continued to question himself on. Right. No. Yeah. I feel the same way. Just I couldn't see him like committing suicide after the baby was born because I just feel like that's too long a time. You know what I mean? Like, because I I wouldn't think that Veronica's mom would hold out that secret because she was obviously still with her husband. You know what I mean? Like they were all still kind of connected at that point. Right. The part that made me wonder was knowing that he had a child with challenges and the fact that um, his diary, you know, makes reference to the fact that, you know, we don't choose to, you know, we don't choose to begin our lives, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. And that made me concerned that that was where they were going with the book. Uh-huh. But I mean, uh-huh. and yeah. I agree with you. Tony assumes that that A2 is him, um, but it could be autism, you know, hypothetically. I mean, well, it could be not. I don't think at that time period it probably would have been autism. It probably would have been Adrian, though, because his son's named after him. Yep. Oh, yeah. If the baby Um, was already born, he would know the baby's name. 
Yeah, yeah. that's true. And um, yeah, but at the since that's not where the story goes, there's no reason for me to necessarily believe that. And if you think about the fact that um, Sarah says that he was happy in the last months of his life, it probably suggests that he did it before the baby came. That there wasn't some pain or fear for his child that drove him. And and realistically, and realistically where, where now we can sort of tell that sort of thing ahead of time, you know, we really don't, we really, they really didn't back then. You know, there was no real tests for that until much later. Right. And even nowadays, there's only so much you can do with tests. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Veronica. Um, I so did not like her. <laughs> but she's easily the most interesting character in the book. Disagree, but we'll she get there. <laughs> incredibly infuriating. Because she was so infuriating, I just wanted her to shut up. <laughs> um, I just wanted to, like, why are you being so mysterious and enigmatic about what you say? Tony obviously hasn't a clue what's going on, and you're making it incredibly difficult. For no reason, apparently. You're not saying anything. Um, so some of the things she said, what do you think she meant by like, like dropping these little phrases to Tony? Like it was basically rape. Um, he'll do want, want, won't he? And you'll, you'll never get it. Like, I mean, to her credit, he doesn't. Yeah, no, I was going to say that last one. He doesn't (laughs) get it. That's her fault because she's not helping. (laughs) But also he thinks that he's so important that he thinks like Mm -hmm. he can just re-involve him self back in her life and really you know he's just this inconsequential gnat to her and and he she's just like i don't understand why you think that somehow you can just re-enter my life and i i get it she doesn't owe him anything here you know it's it's a very she does in fairness she does owe him the diary because it's not technically her property legally and and at the beginning that's all Tony wants. I mean, he says, I don't want to get involved with her. I don't even think about her. And now I have to deal with her. Like, yeah, he doesn't but- want to re-enter her life. But by being enigmatic, she actually draws him in. Because he's like, why is she doing this to me? <laughs> Pretty and much. so she kind of sets herself up in that sense. But he doesn't get it. And so when she says that over and over again, it is true. He doesn't understand what she's trying to tell him. And he never will because she's not giving him the right hints. I mean, that's true. She's not good at reading Tony and understanding what he needs out of the communication circle. Uh, You know, I think it's just a breakdown of two people who really should never be in a room together. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. And it's, you know, I, I said this before and I'll say it again. It's like one of those TV shows or movies where the main conflict is that the characters aren't communicating well with each other. And, you know, like the whole episode would be over in about five minutes if they just sat down and explained it to each other like they do at the end of a sitcom. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like this whole 160 page book would be over in like a tenth of the time if the two characters had just been like, this is my problem. And the other one's like, oh, okay. I get it now. I mean, I do think all three of those things, all three of those uh, phrases, you know, it was basically rape. He'll do, won't he? And you never get it. Um, it, it, There there are ways that she's trying to communicate, but through, in some way, shape, or form, um, emotional manipulation. Uh, You know, she didn't orgasm. I mean, clearly it wasn't rape, at least by Tony's remembrance as we have it. But she didn't orgasm, so she's pissed at him. And so she's just like, you know, if I didn't come, you know, it's basically rape. He's just like, you know what? Go away. Go home. Um, <laughs> but is that why she's it, saying it's rape? Or is yeah. it? Yeah. Do you think that's why? Because that's not what I, the way I read that. I mean, I don't, I didn't read it. I, I mean, I clearly didn't read it that she enjoyed herself, but I also read it more that she was interested in something ongoing and he was not. And she's like, oh, well, I then mean, it's rape. Because, you know, you had sex with me, you used me, and now you want nothing from me. I mean, either way, I think that's true. I I think either way, I think it's just true that, you know, they had clearly consensual sex. 
are what I view as clearly consensual sex. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. She definitely, definitely seems to be consensual. And, and, and then she makes this offhanded comment in order to emotionally manipulate him in some way, shape, or form. And it, I hate it so much because yeah. I'm like, this is what men think it's, women do. Yeah. Don't do that. It's, it's really <laughs> – I mean, from there, you're just like, you're a bad person. This, this, you are a bad person. And yeah. when you, Tony meets up with her – you know, when they're older, she's still a bad person. Like, Oh, I don't know if she's a bad person like, when they're older. I think she's a much more damaged person. Damaged, yes. I still think she's still bad because I feel like maybe I don't – I mean, you don't see much of her really except her snide comments to Tony and that's the only interaction he sees. I mean, she tries to really share something with him that's deep. And again, like you're right. She can't communicate well. They don't communicate well. But mm-hmm. I don't think that makes her – her inability to communicate doesn't – it doesn't make her a bad person. She said a bad thing when she was a kid. You know, I, I think, you know, some people are snotty assholes when they're children, but I think she's mostly a damaged adult by the time we see her as she's older. She does try to try to show him something very painful for her. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, in fairness, there are many people out there who cannot express their feelings. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we're trying, we're supposed to get from Veronica in that sense. You know, I almost feel sorry for the character because I don't think she knows any other way to express herself besides these manipulative comments or these snide hints because she doesn't know how to open herself up to just say what's on her mind to, to Tony. Um, a lot of it is painful. Right. I mean, I do. I did feel sorry for her, but at the same time, especially when you find out, oh, this is what really happened. But at the same time, you're still a bad person if you're not wanting to change or not seeming to change and you're treating someone badly trying to communicate. So to me, it's like, well, you're, I don't see any change in you. Yes, terrible things have happened. But what have you done in your life to help you be a little better person from that? Well, and we can never know that, yeah. though, because everything's exactly. from Tony's perspective. For all it's we not know, like Tony she's... is a stand-up individual. Oh, no. <laughs> For all we know, she spent the past 40 years helping starving children in Africa, but we'll never know because no. Tony doesn't know. Right. So that's the perspective you get. To me, she hasn't changed. She's still, you know, not treating Tony nicely. What changes have I seen? None. So. I mean, I hear you. I hear that she's not treating him nicely. I don't think she owes that to him either. I mean, I really don't. I really, I, I think the idea that you have to be nice to people. How about it, polite? Let's be polite. She wasn't yeah, even no, polite. I think there's a certain <laughs> amount of courtesy and respect that people are due just by virtue of being other people. I don't think she shows that to him either, especially, you know, the idea that she's like, oh, come meet me somewhere. And then she just kicks him out of her car in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere, stuff like that. But at a train station. She kicks him out. I don't think she does. I think no, she just she pulls over and no, so no. says, get out. Yeah, she does that. Yeah, she, she doesn't leave car. him mm-hmm. at the station. Yeah. He, no. Yep. Um, Never mind. And, I was giving her more credit. <laughs> yeah. So there's, you know, there there's stuff like that. There's, you know, but it's, it's interaction between two people who, like you said, shouldn't interact. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay, so we touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but this ties into Tony's angry letter <laughs> um, to Adrian. Um, do you think this is an accurate portrayal of what people experience with their own memories of uh, memories versus reality? Like he doesn't remember that he wrote this awful letter, and he's like, "Oh, I totally wrote this, I, and I feel kind of bad." And terrible that I wrote this. I didn't realize I had the ability to write this letter. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think this is a combination of, you know, as time, well, I think it's a combination of at first, you know, maybe he's like, well, these people all got what they deserved. I wrote them a letter that they deserved. And maybe it doesn't, didn't, think of it in terms of what he wrote, but in terms of like what he felt they deserved. But as time goes by, I think he convinced himself that it was a more eloquent. um, I'm not quite sure the word I'm looking for, but it was a better letter than it was. You know, it was more what he should have said than it actually was. And the end, it's a horrible, terribly crazy letter. 
And I think so, he convinced himself that that wasn't what he wrote. So I'm going to mention something um, that we were going to say for the end. But I'm going to mention it. So we had an interview recently with Pazzi, who wrote the Rabbitback Literature Society. Um, and he mentioned that there is this truth, you know, that sometimes we do, we have these experiences that have these like deep trueness of ourselves that expose something to ourselves that is frightening and terrible. And we cover that up with stories. Exactly. And I think that mm-hmm. this is exactly that. I, yes, I think exactly. that definitely, um, you know, he covered up this writing of this letter, letter into the story of, you know, righteousness and what he could do. And, you know, really it's just, a, it, it's, it's terrible, but it exposes like a, core truth of his being at the same time and when he reads it you know it it, he says it in the quote time was not telling against them it was telling against me i think that's why it's such a shock to both you know the readers and to tony himself because it's just this deepness of himself yeah because he he portrays this letter at first as it's it's accurate it's well deserved and when you actually hear it it's much more hostile and awful than he has he has told himself. Yeah. Like he's hidden the truth of it from himself. I mean that letter, he talks more about what's in the postcard he originally sends than what he actually says in the letter when he first describes it. I mean it's not that long of a description. Um and it's sort of a throwaway thing. And then when it comes back you're like, whoa <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um you always trying to paint yourself in a little better light as time goes on because you know you want to remember the good stuff mm-hmm. you know you right. don't really want to m- remember the bad stuff I mean I'm living I'm living that right now with a kid like I don't remember all this stuff where I'm yelling at my kid <laughs> I wouldn't remember the good stuff where she's saying I love you you know right. <laughs> well and you move on from things mm-hmm. too I mean Tony yeah. had a full life after that and you know by the time the letter comes back around to him. He's not even interested in that part of his life anymore. You know, he's moved on. He's gotten married. He's had a kid. He's got his little volunteer thing. Yep. He's, it's not something he even thinks about anymore. So it hits him fresh because it's something that's not part of his life anymore. Right. It's mm-hmm. fresh eyes, basically. Like, yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, which brings me uh, to, the, to my last question here. Um, what do you think of Tony's thoughts when he looks back on his feelings of the future? Like he's looking back to what he thought as a kid. Do you think like these are the thoughts he definitely had or he wished he had? Um, then he, did he realize he was happy with his life the way he's living it? I mean, in some way, this is it's so English, this book. It's so English. So like it, it's funny because from, from an American point of view, you know, we don't have prep schools don't have this love of literature like English prep schools do. American schools just don't teach it the same way, which is sad. I actually I actually think it's really sad. Um, but he has this whole idea of great art and great literature and being this, you know, and having a life that strives to that ideal. And I, and I do think he probably thought that at the time, probably less grandiose than he makes it sound. Um, but I do think he probably thought it at the time Um, but yeah I I think and he admits it I think it's like one of the first things he says in the book you know this is it is impossible for me to say this is exactly what happened this is as I remember it as I've later dealt with it as truth even though this is probably not the truth and he's it's right there up front so I can only say that I think that that is the truest thing he probably says in the entire novel, actually, that it is impossible for any of this to be considered factual. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it has echoes of what he probably thought as a child. Yeah, I think, you know, we all do it. We look back and we remember the way we thought of things. We remember the things we saw. We remember um, how we felt. So there's truth in this story, there's what he remembers to be true, but there's always two sides to a story. You know, there's what you 
you know, what you felt, what you said, what you did, what you remember, but there's also what was happening around you at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that might be the part of the truth that we'll never know because we never see from that perspective. So what right. he's saying, for example, about Adrian or his other friends or Veronica or even um, Sarah, that's the way he saw them. That's the way he experienced them. But that might not be the way things happened. It might not be the way people intended. The situation might have been different from what he um, what he perceived. I mean, it, it's funny you say that because, I mean, he never mentions in the book that he thinks Sarah and him could have had an affair. But my perception in that moment is clear that Sarah was sort of, that that, that that could have happened in that moment. And that, you know, like the egg cracked and was thrown out, like it, it just didn't, you know, he just never rose to the challenge. He never got, he never realized what was in front of him. And, and it couldn't, it might've never been Adrian at all. Um, but he never has that realization of that moment. Um, right. And see, and I interpreted that moment differently that Sarah was trying to communicate something else with him. Um, and he, but he doesn't understand that. And that's something that we perceive as outsiders, but he doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So with all those thoughts of memories and reality and, and such, did you guys come to like it? Do you like the book? Um, it was, I won't say I disliked it. I didn't love it. I had a hard time feeling strongly about anything in it. I think I didn't feel strongly about any of the characters. The only character I really, really felt interested in actually was Margaret, who shows up in two or three conversations total. And I thought just thought found her actually the most fascinating character in the book in the sense, you know, her entire story is... You know, she gets married, she has an affair, but she stays on really great friendly terms with her ex-husband and advises him through this insane situation. And I was kind of like, you know, this book would have been really, really interesting from that perspective. <laughs> I mean, actually. she's awesome. Yeah. She's such she, an she's interesting an awesome Well, character. that's why she's not in the book. <laughs> yeah. And she's such an interesting character and she's so wise in her conversations with Tony I thought it was like I would love to hear what's happening in this person's world and how in their perspective um but so you know that's a book I think I would have really loved really enjoyed as it was you know I liked it I probably wouldn't reread it same uh you know how last month we had a conversation around books that we like to discuss but not books we liked yes yeah this 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 is <laughs> i i like discussing this book far more than i actually enjoyed reading it yes that's um, an accurate yes <laughs> I, I agree too <laughs> so um while i like the themes and i think that the themes are admirable um and i like the point of the book i i just didn't enjoy the journey yep sorry well I mean, there was a <laughs> lot was- of frustration and unease and I mean and that's dislikable that's characters <laughs> yeah I mean and to be fair that was the point you're yep. supposed to be at e- uneasy mm-hmm. with this character you're supposed to dislike them I just didn't it enjoy that you know sometimes you enjoy that I, I just didn't hear yeah. for yeah. whatever it reason it didn't work for me like I felt you know and especially being that I've been going through this book slump for weeks now you know, I've been looking for a book to like draw me in and pull me along mm-hmm. and just to take me somewhere. Book. And this book kind of, <laughs> this book I felt like, you know, it wasn't hard. I didn't feel like I had to, you know, try, drag myself through the mud, but I yeah. felt like there was effort. Like I had to do the walking. I had to pull myself along. It's weird. Some yeah. people call this a page turner on Goodreads. Yeah. And I'm like, were we reading the same book? Same. <laughs> I... We don't have the definition, same definition of page turner. That could Maybe be true. not, because I you didn't know, find it to be a page turner either. It's like, I, I read this book in one sitting. I'm like, uh. <laughs> well, I read it in almost one sitting, in like yeah. two or three sittings. I read it in two. I mean, but, it's a short that's book. Not because, yeah, I was going to say, it's not because I was so excited to see what happened. It was more because it's not a... 
it's not a difficult book to get through and you know there are interesting things to think about along the way yeah so it's like taking again it's like taking a walk you know okay you might you know it might not be a very interesting walk but you'll see something interesting along the way yeah this is basically a book that i did not stay up late to read yeah <laughs> right right so all right well I'm sensing an ending for this podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about our next book first. Um, it's going to be The Star-Touched Queen by Roshani Chokshi. So um, we're all excited about this book. It's it, ju- it just came out or it came out recently? Yeah, like yes, a week ago. Yeah. 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 Uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe mm-hmm. a week ago. So In April. I- yeah, so I am excited to read that book. Also, look out for a special episode where we interview Rabbitback Literature Society author Pasi Elmari Yaskalenin. Nice job. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, and we're very, very excited. So excited, for this. guys. It was amazing. <laughs> um, so if you're wondering where you can find all of the books we discussed today or any of the things we referenced, our show notes can be found at sunriserobot.net slash eclectic readers slash 15 because this is our 15th episode um all right guys so where can they find you susan Um, people can find me on goodreads uh sue lyons or twitter at duty kaicho r-u-r-i underscore k-a-i-c-h-o-u or the google plus page where i like to share fun memes and book related links jeanette People can find me on my Goodreads page, which is at goodreads.com slash J-M-T Rivera. Or you can find me on the Eclectic Readers Goodreads page, of course. They're all the time. And on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette, that's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. And you can find me on our Goodreads page, of course, and on Twitter at Tara, T-A-R-A, N-E-W-M-A-N. And if you don't want to write this down, if you just go to our uh, show notes page on Sunrise Robot, all of those links will be on the left-hand side. So uh, easy clickability. And I'll add that the polls, again, for our next Eclectic Readathon are up online right now. So you can go and um, vote on those. And they should be open until one week after the release of this podcast. So they'll be going down on May 22nd. So we go vote. Oh, I voted already. Oh. <laughs> Overachiever. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to give a quick shout out. Um, if you really like this podcast, and we hope you do, and you might think about supporting us, and if you want to support us, uh, please think about joining as uh, one of our Patreons. And you can find that link at sunriserobot.net slash support. Uh, special thanks to Benji Robinson and Carolyn Kraut. And, uh, yeah, subscribe to us in your favorite podcatcher so you'll never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes because that's how other people find us. And other bookie people finding us is awesome. Um, So I think that's it, guys. Let's shelve this until next month. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.